Well, we're glad to see you this morning. This is week five of 50 days. Somebody shout 50. 50 days of fire. And I'm fired up about preaching this morning. I hope that you were fired up about receiving and listening. Anybody here this morning fired up? It's a good thing. It's a good thing. You're, you're in a very good place. It's a safe place, but it's also a dangerous place. How many know sometimes we need to be in a dangerous place? Anybody ever get comfortable with where you're at and know that you need change, but, but it's uncomfortable to change? I mean, change is uncomfortable. I mean, you may say, well, if it's the kind of change I want, and that's true, but I find with even the change that I want, there'll come some area of, of just uncomfortability in my life, even though it's what I wanted. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Because it disrupts. Change is a disruptor. And sometimes we just need God to disrupt. And we're in 1 Kings 18 this morning. And I encourage you, if you have a Bible, turn there. Or if you have a mobile device, you can find it or we'll have it here on the screen for you. But 1 Kings 18, it is a disruption, what we've been talking about here. I've been in the last couple of weeks. And now again today, this will probably be the final week we'll be in this. And we'll, we'll jump over to the park next week. How I many know we're going to be at the Greenwood Amphitheater next week? And we'll talk more about Yeah. It's going to be good. I'm just telling you, I already know it's going to be good. It's going to be hot, but we're preaching on fire anyway, so, you know. It's like the pastor that turned all the thermostats up in his church before, before the service started and got it really hot in the place because he's preaching on hell, and he just wanted people to get a little glimpse of it. Well, we're not doing that, but it's going to be hot next week, and I am preaching on fire. So, um, anyways, uh, 50 days of fire, and, and 1 Kings 18 here, the beautiful thing is that there's a challenge made, and with the challenge, God answers by fire. And so last couple of weeks, we talked about the prerequisites of fire. Today, I want to talk about the idea of, of when, when fire falls, after the fire falls, what then? And you may have noticed, stage, they got it all decorated for me. It's, you know, like, VBS is, starts tonight. VBS starts tonight, Yeah. Yeah, lives are going to be molded and shaped, and so they got some of, it'll be bigger and grander tonight when they, when they start, but if you have children, or you know some children, or maybe children in your life, I'd encourage you, bring them, we've got record registration, so, but yeah, more than ever, that's cool, right, so it's, it's awesome, and then here's the thing I say is, just show up with kids anyways, because God likes to take chaos and make order, so, so they got all the plans and everything, but be cool if about 30 or 50 kids show up extra. I think last year that's what happened. And so first night they had all these kids show up that weren't registered. And that's good. And, and if somebody gives you, if you come here and you say, hey, I got these children with me. I know they're not registered. If they give you a problem, just say, hey, Pastor Tony said to bring them. And then just, just use that card. Use the Pastor Tony card for that tonight. That's the only time you can use it because you may get me in trouble if you use it for something else. I may get in trouble for that, but I'm just saying, bring them. We got room. Somebody shout, we got room. Yeah, so, so they got it all set up for us and appreciate the worship, kind of set the tone. Uh, but, but fire comes, 1 Kings 18, Elijah on Mount Carmel. And uh, fire comes, we, we see this here, it's given to us. Fire comes when we know that our message is from God. 
Fire comes when we stand for what is right, regardless of the cost. Fire comes when we bring others to a point of decision. Fire comes when we repair the broken altars and use those altars once again. Fire comes when we are facing circumstances that only God's fire can light. Fire comes when we publicly trust God to do what only he can do. Fire comes when people are hungry for God to receive the glory. Fire comes when we desire to see others return back to God. Fire comes. And I know the past few weeks I've talked about fire as passion, fire as a fervency, right? Not that, that we shouldn't just have a cold, dark, dead, empty relationship with God, but, but it can be passionate and heated. Anybody with me? Anybody else know that's the case in your own life? Say yes. Anybody want that? Say yes. It's okay to interact with me. I'll just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with it. So, but, but I just should say this, that today I want to just dig down a little deeper and talk about fire with the idea of the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our life. That fire falling in our life it, it is not, although I'm glad for it and I want it, is passion, is fervency, is an on-fire walk with God, but the Holy Spirit is the igniter. And, and what, and here's a question, you can jot this down, what is your life like with the, whole, with the fullness of the Holy Spirit in your life? And, and I would say that understanding this, and some of you have heard me talk about it this way, but there is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. When you come to Jesus, well, the Holy Spirit's there undeniably he's there. You can't know Jesus without the Holy Spirit, right? You can't have a relationship without the Holy Spirit. But there also, you can't look at Scripture and not see that there are times and moments in the New Testament and even characters in the Old Testament, individuals, where there was like a whole nother level. Like, like they were experiencing the Holy Spirit in, in a way that, well, it, it wasn't just a little dabble doing, but they just went to this place and with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And I would say this, that, that we never have to get to a point in which we say, well, I kind of got it all. The Apostle Paul couldn't say that. Now, he's somebody to look at. He said, I don't say this as though I've apprehended or I've arrived. I'm still pressing. There's still more. There's still greater things beyond me. I don't want to stop here. I don't want to say I've got it all. But God, I want more. This is so good. I've tasted and I want more. Anybody want more? Yeah. yeah, we want more. How bad do you want it, though? That's another message, but I'll, I'll get to that. First Kings 18. We'll pick up verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now, when all the people, everybody say all the people, and all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said that the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, this is where it gets tricky for the, for the facilitator of the word of God. Then Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. That's a heavy one. We'll talk about it today. Verse 41, then Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat, and drink, for there is the sound 
of the abundance of rain. Well, it's amazing that, that in the midst of fire falling out of heaven, what, what an incredible sight. I've seen artist depictions of trying to, to, to render what that would have looked like, and it always is fascinating to me, but I don't think any of them can do justice to fire coming out of heaven and consuming a sacrifice. And yet, in the midst of fire falling, rain is coming. Seems like an oxymoron. Seems like it shouldn't work that way. But yet, it's what we see here. And, and now, after, after the challenge, after Elijah standing alone against the 450 prophets of Baal, now we see the result, the outcome of, of what has happened. The fire has consumed everything. Not just the sacrifice. Not just the wood, as it were. Not just wet wood, the stones, the dust, the water that filled the trenches. Well, I got to say it's a pretty special fire, and, and no doubt the, 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 the temperature of that fire must be uh, incredibly hot to do all of that. It's almost as though it's not an earthly fire. Are you with me? I love what Oswald Sanders says because he, he says it like this because everybody's there. He said, eyes that look are common, but eyes that see are rare. Because everybody's looking. The whole world's looking right now. But eyes that see. Thank God that the, the blinders, that the veil's been lifted, and you got to see the glorious love of our God for you and to enter into a relationship with him. Eyes that see are rare. And on this day, there are some folks that are, that are looking, but there's other people who now see. They weren't convinced earlier, but now they're convinced. Now they understand that the God in heaven, he is Lord. And there's no, there's no vacillating back and forth now. In fact, the first act that you see them commit is they fall on their faces. They fall on their faces. And in falling on their faces, well, I think that is a, that is a point of surrender. It's an acknowledgment that he's much greater than we are, and we bow down before him. You know, I, I, years ago I had a dog, big German shepherd, and his name was Revival. Some of you know the story. I don't know what else a preacher names a dog. You know, I don't want to call him Fufu or something. And he, he'd get out. Sometimes he loved to get loose and just run out in the neighborhood. Like he'd, he'd run. You could just time it. It's about three minutes, and he'd run out as hard as he could that way, and there he'd come back after a so, certain amount of time. He'd always come back. He didn't want to leave. You just want to burn off all that stuff. But, but, you know, you lose that dog in the neighborhood and you just go through revival, revival. They just think, I'm praying for him. The neighbors do, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> it's like a twofold purpose, right? But sometimes, I mean, big dog, strong, could be aggressive when he needed to. I mean, somebody comes in our driveway or would come in our driveway. I mean, they knew, like, I mean, he had a bark that, like, would, you know, it's like, boom, scary. People, I saw joggers come around our neighborhood, and they would hear him, and they'd just veer off to the other part of the cul-de-sac and get out of there. Because One time, the, the mailman, like, there was a box in our front yard just laying in the grass. And I think he just got halfway up and woke Rev up, because Rev would probably been in the garage when I was there, and Rev hit the door with his head and just did that big bark, and I think that guy just got out of there and dropped everything. I'm just saying, big old, strong intimidating kind of dog, alpha dog. But if I'd say, if, if I'd say the right thing to him, like call him Rev, Rev, like his ears go back, he'd get all down. Because you know what he realized? He realized that he wasn't, he wasn't the, the one in control in that picture. 
And on that day, when they get down before they fall on their faces, they're saying, we aren't in control. We, we were wrong in what we were doing, and we understand that you are God, and we're bowing down, and we assess value and worth to you. Not us, not the false gods, not the false prophets, but you alone, God. And I'm just saying this this morning, that, that, that they are in an act of worship, and worship is just that. It's assessing worth to God. And I believe this, and I'm going I'm I'm to give you some insight this morning to help you, but worship, our worship, when fire comes, our worship goes to a new level, right? Our worship goes to a new level with the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our life. It goes to an entirely new level. And it's important that we understand that, that God is seeking worshipers. Jesus with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Conversation gets on worship. And Jesus says this in verse uh, 23. He said, but the hour is coming and now is. Everybody say now is. Right now. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. God's looking for worshipers, and not worshipers like they were before the fire, fire where they will worship him not in truth. Right? They're, 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 the whole sin of, of mixing, they're adding another God on, adding an idol on, making God the same as Baal or, or in some way worshiping both, well, that's, that's false worship. Pure soul worship of God is what, he's, what he desires. And so worship in truth and in spirit. And I would submit to you today that, that the Holy Spirit in your life, the Holy Spirit, well, it gives you the possibility of worship not just in the sense of, well, we call this, right, churches, the worship service or elevation. We use the term worship experience, the phrase, or, or some churches would say the worship hour. Not just, not just in, the, in the act of we're doing our religious thing, our church thing. There's people all over the world doing that on this Sunday, like they do every Sunday. And praise God that people are gathering. I'm not meaning to belittle any of that. I'm just saying that... What I'm talking about today is not just we're going to sing a couple songs and hear somebody talk and give some money and pray and go home and be the same as we've always been. I'm talking about worship in the idea that the Holy Spirit in our life ups, the, ups our game. You know, and, and when it comes to praise and worship, we link those together, and that's cool, but uh, sometimes people try to discern, okay, what is the difference? Some say worship is about God. Or, I mean, sorry, praise is about God. Worship is to God. Or praise is opening up. Worship is entering in. Praise is boldly declaring who God is. Worship is humbly bowing before uh, the presence of God, the presence of a holy God. Praise applauds what God has done while worship is honoring God for who he is. And I say, yes, those are all good des descriptors. But I want to I hit it with just a little different angle today for you. And this is to help you. Um, and in helping us sometimes, I mean, sometimes to get help, we have to like reprocess. Because, you know, all of us, I tell people, I use, the, I use the word sometimes new normal. Not referring to our world, but referring to elevation. When we do steps, if you haven't been through steps, I encourage you. July we'll have steps again. Uh, but 
in steps. I talk about the new normal that everybody kind of comes to elevation and they got a normal, right? Like, you know, so, so you went to a, a good Bible-believing Baptist church and you come to elevation and then your normal is encased in all of that. Or you come from a Pentecostal church and you come to elevation and your all of your viewpoint is from that. Or you come from a Methodist church or a Lutheran church or you come from a Catholic church or Episcopalian. In fact, when I say that, or maybe you don't come from any church background at all, and I think sometimes you're better off because you don't have all the baggage. But, but as I say that, just, just the ones I said, how many just, you heard me say Baptist, Lutheran, Pentecostal. Just shoot your hand up if you're one of those real quick. Yeah, see, I mean, I said Catholic all, I mean, I could go on. I mean, I could talk about Nazarene and, and all the flavors. There's more than 31 flavors in the church, by the way. And it come with a new normal. And so, so I'm not talking about just Elevation Church, but I'm talking about this in a, in, a, in a spiritual aspect, that we come with some preconceived ideas about what God can do, what he can't do, what we should do, what we shouldn't do. Should we be very quiet all the time or should we be very loud all the time? Should, should, should we act like that person or that person? Well, that's a bad conversation right there, <laughs> right? Be you, be you. But, but I'm just saying this, that, that as I talk about this, I'd like for us just to kind of do our best to remove that and, and listen to what the Word of God says. In fact, we'll start with Mary, mother of Jesus, in Luke chapter 1. She has an encounter with the Holy Spirit. You know, she didn't get pregnant because of a man, she didn't get pregnant because of, of, of any other reason than the Holy Spirit. And she says this in verse 46. She says, my soul doth magnify the Lord. This is the, the Magnificat. It's what Mary, Mary says in, in, in result to what's happening to her because of the encounter she has with the Holy Spirit. My soul, my mind, my will, my emotions magnify God. Now, we couldn't make God bigger than he is. How many know that? Right? It's not like, well, I, my, I'm making God bigger. No, with my mind and my emotions and my will, I'm beginning to see God much bigger than I ever saw him before. And I'm, and I'm getting to a place where, where God is expanded in my view and he's larger and greater than any view I ever had before. That's what Mary's saying after an encounter with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will affect your mind, will, and emotions. Now, I would say that many times the church kind of stops there Big C church, and we only worship with mind, will, and emotions. And so all across the church world, people are having good thoughts about God. They're kind of smiled. Come to church today. This isn't wrong. I'm just saying. It's what we do. We've got our books out, our words on the screen, and we're looking at them, and we're saying some good things about God, and it's a happy day. We feel good. I will tell you this. Church should make you feel good. I'm not, right? It's not all about feeling good, but I'm, I come to worship. It makes me feel better. Anybody with me? few of us, you know. And, and so, I mean, I've been some places where it didn't make me feel good. But I'm just, it's not all about you feeling good, but you will. You will. And, and so, so it's not just mind, will, and emotions. Because then she says this in verse 47, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Well, that just shifts something a little bit. It's not just mind, will, and emotions. not just a solical kind of worship, but a spiritual worship. In a, in a position where there's rejoicing going on because God, 
Mary's saying this, my Savior, the one who has set me free from my sins, as I worship him, I'm rejoicing spiritually. It's in a whole nother level than just mind, will, and emotions. I'm in a different space and place when I worship because of the encounter that I have with the Holy Spirit and what he is doing in my life. And I would tell you this, that worship isn't, just, isn't about circumstances. That's, and that's where we can get lost. Well, if everything's going good, I can worship. But if it's not, well, I don't know. I think it's important to understand the place that we enter at, that everybody can enter at, is being thankful. Thanks. Thanksgiving. And I would say this, that anybody on the planet can do that. Anybody. If you know Jesus, you don't know Jesus, you're a Buddhist, you're a Hindu, you're a Muslim, you're a Christian, you're a Jew, you can, whatever it is, you, you can be thankful. You could be nothing and be thankful. Right? Let me show you how that can happen. Like, you go in tomorrow to work, and, and they come to you like at 9 o'clock or 9.30, and they say, hey, we got this big fat check we want to give you for a bonus, right? You don't have to be Jesus' follower to say, wow. You may not know who you're addressing, but you're thankful. Or, or, or this, maybe you've had this happen. You're sitting at stoplight, and the light turns green, and you're about ready to go, but you hesitate a minute, and all of a sudden somebody comes flying through there. Now, you don't have to necessarily be following Jesus to know, thank you, right? That elevator, you get, I got stuck in an elevator one time between the 23rd and 24th floor, and I'm the only one on. I wish somebody had been on there at least so I could talk to. I'm, I'm like this. If, if it had been filmed, it would have been hilarious. Like somehow I think if I move too much, I'm going to make it fall. And, and I move kind of like this, and I hit the call for, I'm like this, hit the call for help button. And when that door, when that thing, it jolted real quick. And we hit the next floor, man, I hopped out of there, and I was thankful. I'm just saying that we can be thankful. Now, now I also know this. There are people that can be very unthankful. And that's a dangerous place. Because in Scripture, you see when people are unthankful, well, that leads to, can lead to a point of no return with God. But so being thankful, well, we can do that. We can do that. Any of us can do it. Praise. Now, praise, a little different. Because in praise, we know that God has done something in our life, and because we have a relationship with him, well, we're moved to declare who God is and to talk about what God has done and to sing songs. And I would say that churches all around the world, well, this is a common thing, singing praise, giving praise, shouting praise to God. And even, even some of my friends that, that are limited in, in, the, in their scope of what the Holy Spirit can do, even, even friends that are cessationists and, and don't believe the Holy Spirit does much of anything today, they can still, they're praising God. They're still praising God, even though, right, I, I love them and I'm glad they do and thankful for them. But, but I want to talk about worship for a moment because worship is a shift, a shift in, in, in our experience with him because we start speaking from a place of spiritual depth and alignment with who God is regardless of anything and everything. It doesn't, it doesn't, worship is not dictated by my circumstances. You see it with Paul, Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16. They're, they've been beaten. They're, and Paul says, hey, I'm a Roman citizen. I don't know what you guys, I don't know what you jokers think you're doing it. That's probably the Greek on it, right? I don't know what you jokers think you're doing, but check my ID. Right, my driver's like, my passport says Rome. Right, I'm, I'm, I'm a part, I'm a part, and so you can't do this to me. They throw them in, in, the, in the jail, and they're in there, and it's, it's bad. 
because they were doing good things. They were trying to share the gospel. Somebody thinks, well, I was trying to do something good and something bad happened. Yeah, that can happen. You know that you're in a real world and there's a devil loose, right? He didn't want, he didn't want Paul sharing the gospel. He didn't want Silas there doing that. And so now they're, they're in the jail and it's come midnight. And Acts 16.25 says at midnight they began to sing praise. Lift up praise and sing in hymns to God. Now, that was, a, that was an opportune time to complain and to bellyache and to whine and to, and to second guess what you've ever thought about God or wanted to do. Now, I know none of you have ever been in that place where circumstances caused you to think, what, what am I doing? What, what, God, where are you at? They could have done that, but instead, they worshiped. They lifted up their voices. It says this, that the other prisoners heard them. And they began to worship. And in their worship, God began to work. I can just imagine. They're maybe like we were earlier, you know. We're singing that song. Maybe they're in that jail. And you say, how would they have sung that song? Well, I don't know. God works in ways that blow my mind, right? They could have been singing in English. You say, well, they didn't have English then. Well, I don't know. Holy Spirit gave them a language that nobody knew. But they could have been singing that song like we were either. Show me one thing you can't, he can't do. Show me a mountain he can't move. He's the God of breakthrough and anything is possible. Why is that? It's because they're in a place not looking at the circumstances, but looking at their God who's much greater than the circumstances. Habakkuk 3, verses 17 and 18 says this, Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. I'm not going to worship just because things are right. I'll worship then. But even when it doesn't look like even when it looks like it's hopeless, God, I know that I can give you worship because I'm in a different place. Even when gas is over $5 a gallon, even when my bank account may be low, even when the doctor gave you a bad report, even when there's a shortage in what you need, you can still worship in the midst of that because you're in a different place. You've moved into a different space. I love what, what Matt Redmond said. He said, the heart of God loves a persevering worshiper who, though overwhelmed by many troubles, is overwhelmed even more by the beauty of God. Oh, my world is falling apart, but yet there's a God that's so incredible and so great and altogether lovely that I just got to worship him because of who he is. I, I'm not going to be distracted because my circumstances don't seem to align with what I want God to do. God, I'm going to worship you right now where I'm at. It's like the writer in Psalms 91 said, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. He said, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him will I trust. doesn't matter what's happening. God, I'm going to worship you with all that is within me. Worship goes to a new level with the fullness of the Holy Spirit in your life. When you've decided, God, I'm pressing in for all. And I'm not talking about just the, and by the way, Psalms gives a beautiful description of what worship looks like. Dancing, singing, lifting hands, clapping hands, 
shouting, rejoicing. I'm, I'm talking about just that. I'm talking about the idea that your, your devotion, your commitment has shifted to a place that no matter what's happened in your life, you're a worshiper because the Father is seeking such. Then, then the other thing that I see is they said, they spoke. Now, earlier in this passage, well, they're silent. It's like the Garfunkel song, the sound of silence. There's nothing. Nobody's saying anything. And now they're speaking. They're vocal. They're saying, they're saying that the Lord, he is God with, with, with emphasis, emphatically that he is God. I believe that when the fire falls in our life, when the fullness of the Holy Spirit is our experience, we become vocal. I believe we become very vocal. You see it in the life of Peter. Peter was a guy that denied Jesus. Right, now, you'll you remember, and this isn't, it could have been a little boy, but it happened to be a little girl, a young girl. She starts to say, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? He's like, no. No, in fact, he gets indignant. He didn't want to be, why? Because he didn't have the, the boldness to stand up. But yet, in Acts 2, after the Holy Spirit has come and he's experienced, he's filled with the Holy Spirit, he stands up with boldness and declares who Jesus is, what's happened to Jesus, and, and preaches with conviction until 3,000 that day come to Christ come to the knowledge and experience of a, of a loving and, and saving God. Well, what changed? How did Peter become so vocal and speak the way he did? Well, the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit falls, when fire falls in Acts chapter 2, good homework for you. Go read that. But, but when it happens, well, people, they start speaking in languages that they had not learned by the unction of the Holy Spirit, by the Spirit of God, they're speaking, and they're very vocal. At a time when maybe you'd shut yourself in and be quiet because they came for Jesus. Now they may came for you, come for you if you're one of his followers, but they're out, and they're speaking in languages, and people hear it, and people come, come to Jesus because of the way that these people have become vocal. I believe this, that, that when the Holy Spirit, when you experience the fullness, you'll become vocal for him. You'll declare who he is, You'll, you'll speak. I don't think there ought to be silent people during. When we're worshiping and singing, I think you just ought to sing. You say, Pastor, I can't sing. That's okay. Sometimes there's people around me who can't sing. I hear them. I tell them, turn it up a little more so everybody can blend in. I'm not speaking to anybody personally. In my, life, in my experience, I've been around people. My words couldn't incriminate me because of the people sitting near me today. I'm just saying this, open your mouth and be vocal. Now, I know you say, Pastor, you're saying this to Elevation Church, and we're pretty loud. I know. But just in case you've been intimidated, and that's what it is by the enemy, to be silent, that's what he wants. He wants you to shut up. He wants you to keep your, he don't want you to share the gospel with the people in your life. He wants you to be quiet. He wants you to be intimidated. He wants you to be timid in worship so God didn't get the glory and the praise and the worship that he's due. He wants you to be quiet so that you're not making any kind of impact in the world around us. And what he's called us to do is be salt and light. And I'm just telling you this, that light goes into the darkness, and, and the darkness is like, whoa. And I want to tell you, he wants to use your words. Acts 4.31, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God 
with boldness. I'm telling you, when the Holy Spirit, when you've experienced the fullness of the Holy Spirit in your life, you're going to have this ability to speak, speak in a way in which you couldn't have done it before. But you, you may say, Pastor Tony, you mean speaking some of the language? Yes, that definitely could be your experience. But, but speaking boldly, like Peter did on the day of Pentecost, um, sharing, speaking not just out of, out of you, but out of the Spirit of God within you. Romans 10, 9 and 10 tells us also that, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Verse 10, for with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That there also is this heart, what I believe in my heart coming out of my mouth. Right? So sometimes we speak by the unction of the Spirit because the Holy Spirit's present. Sometimes we speak out of our heart. Proverbs 15, 7 says, the lips of the wise give good advice. The heart of a fool has none to give. What? His, his heart isn't filled with wisdom. So none can come out of his mouth. Jesus said in Luke 6.45 in the New American Standard Bible that the good person out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. And the evil person out of the treasure of, of their heart brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. And so, so there is this idea that, that out of our heart, right, out of the abundance of our health, heart, our mouth speaks. And, and understanding in your life, well, there's, there's a seed in which words come out of my mouth. It comes from a place. Now, it could be head knowledge, logic, reason. We all have that. And we use it every day. You use that every day. Like, you know, somebody asks you what's two plus two, you probably know the answer. Right? Or somebody says, hey, should I look both ways before I cross the street? Yes, that's a good idea. Don't just step out there. That's just logic, logical. It's out of our head. We know that. Then we also speak out of feeling, out of emotion. Anybody ever do that before? Sometimes anger is a place where that can happen. Like you say something, you oh, shouldn't have said that. People in relationships, you know, they say something, they're upset or whatever, and then, you you know, it's like toothpaste. Once you get out of the tube, you can't get it back in there. Speak out of emotion. Maybe, out of, maybe out, of, out of elation and happiness, you speak something. And it may not even be altogether true, but for that moment, you was feeling that and you said it. So we, and then we speak out of, as the word of God says, I, I call it heart thoughts. It's out of our experience, out of our uh, discernment from things, out of, out of who we are at our very core. Right? The good man speaks good things. The evil man speaks evil things out of, the, out of their heart, that out of the abundance of our heart, our mouth speaks. But then there also is this idea of speaking by the Spirit of God. That with the fullness of the Holy Spirit, you have the opportunity to speak not out of here, but out of what God is saying. You ever had that experience where where you're sharing something, maybe with somebody, and all of a sudden you say some things, and it wasn't things that you actually thought about or said maybe before. Had somebody call me, they they gave their life to Christ, and they called me as Back years ago, it's happened probably since, but I remember this one so vividly because the person called me and said, hey, some people I was around today, they were, I work with, they were like just kind of hitting me up with this and that, and, you know, and I started just talking to them, and I started sharing things, and I shared stuff I didn't even know that I knew. And they said, was that the Holy Spirit? I said, well, you didn't know it, and you shared it. I think it sounds like it's the Holy Spirit to me. 
I'm just saying there's, a t- there's times when it's not about what, I mean, it happens to me every Sunday. It's not everything I prepared. It's not what, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just gives some words, flow to speak. It wasn't me. In fact, science has studied this. They've studied intercessors when they pray. And at moments when they're interceding and praying by the Spirit, praying in the Spirit, that the part of your brain that processes what you're going to say slows down and and is doing very little because you're not speaking from your own knowledge or what you think or what you've experienced. It's God, the Holy Spirit, speaking through you. That can be your experience. And I'm praying, I'm praying that that will be your experience. In fact, next Sunday, I said it earlier, you know it's coming, Father's Day at the park. We're going to go outside. We're going to worship. We're going we're gonna to experience the presence of God under the open skies. It's going to be like a Mount Carmel experience. I'm praying God will just answer by fire. Are you with me? We're going to preach the gospel. We're going to pray. We're going to have some. We're going to have a cookout afterwards. Hot dogs and ham. Bring a chair so you can sit on it. You know, or bring something to sit on. Um, plan on staying a little while. It's going to be fun after. They got stuff for the kids afterwards. Stuff for the adults. You know, fun stuff to do. So plan on hanging out for a while. And the other thing I want you to do is, I want you to invite somebody. Now we've got some cards. We're going we're gonna to give you some cards right now. At least I think we are. Oh, there you are. Good. Good. We're going to give you some, some invite cards. And uh, here's what I want you to do. Don't just make this a thing. Okay, I got these cards. And you lay them in your, in your little compartment by your gear shifter in your car, and they sit there until three weeks from now, and you say, oh, I need to toss those. Or, or don't take them home and just lay them down or put them in your pocket and forget about it. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to use this as a tool to pray because somebody you know right now needs God in their life. Their life may be, it may just be falling apart and they don't, and and, and they're so focused on the circumstances that that it's just hard for, for them to get through life. And simply by you going to them, the card won't do it. The card's just information. By you going to them and having, and having dressed everything you're going to say up with prayer and allowing the Holy Spirit to speak through you words of life, I believe this, that somebody next week will come, and when they come and they hear the gospel, that they will respond, and they could experience life transformation and be set on a different course for their eternity than they are now, simply because you allow the Holy Spirit to work through you. That you allow him to give you the boldness, to give you the words, to give you the unction to function so that you can share Jesus and maybe just a simple invitation to somebody. And by the way, this isn't trying to get a number there. Whoever's there, God's going to have who needs to be there. But there's somebody that God may use you to speak into that if you, if you miss this, well, that may have been the opportunity that that's been set up for them for decades for you to step in in this moment, and God wants to use you. God wants to use you. And so my challenge is let's, let's allow God to work in our congregation this week in bringing to the surface those people and then giving us the words and the guidance to speak into their life.
How many will do that say yes? I'm just believing somebody's life's going to be changed. And then the next thing that happens is, and this is, this is the one I said earlier, well, it's a, you know, just encountering it could, could be, oh, my, what's happened here? Because it says they captured, they seized the prophets of Baal, and they took them down and executed. They killed them. 450. Now, now, you may say, who are they? Well, you know, Jezebel, she is, she is the, uh, the, the queen there. And when we think about Jezebel, we use that term nowadays to be someone that's probably uh, decked out and dressed a certain way or somebody that's promiscuous or something. And maybe those could apply. But, but honestly, she was the one who brought in state-sponsored pagan worship to the people of God. And so these, these prophets, this is about 150 years after David, things have changed altogether because, you know, David, he, he had, the, the, the temp, uh, uh, had the tabernacle and then Solomon the temple, and they had skillful worshipers, and God is answering by fire. On the dedication of the temple, God is answering by fire. People, the priests can't stand to minister because of the, the presence of God is so thick. And now, 150 years later, Jezebel has ushered in this, this worship of a false god, uh, Baal and Asherah. And, and, um, and who are these? Well, Bible scholars, and I don't pretend to be one, but Bible scholars would probably differ in trying to find out who they are. I would say this, that there's probably some Sidonites that came with Jezebel, some people that are foreign to that area. But by and large, the majority of these 450 are Israelites, Israelites that have been taken in to worshiping a false god. Israelites that God chose as his people to lead them through the wilderness and to give them victory over, in the promised land over others. And, and here they are bowing down to, the, to the, the gods of the Canaanites that God had purposely outlined. We read in the Old Testament in the Pentateuch the instructions of not to do these things and, and to rid of these things because he didn't want that to happen to them because he knew that it was misleading. It's a hopeless destiny to follow false gods. So now they're seizing them. Because I, want to, I believe this, that Elijah doesn't want there ever to be an opportunity for them to return back to where they've been. And I believe this, that the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our life gives us the opportunity to be absolute in following Jesus. We are absolute in following Jesus with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. In fact, there's no other option that he alone is what we focus our attention. That our, that our, that our gaze, that our eyes are fixed upon Jesus. Because these bad guys, they're, they're deceptive. And one of the things I believe that, that, um, that is a, a frustration, you know, I get, I get angry when I hear about worldly leaders that are, that are deceiving people. Anybody with me? They're, they're giving out false information for their own, their own benefit. I, I, get, I get really frustrated when it's church leaders. When some guys had, had and, and not that anyone could, be, could fall into a trap. I get that. Galatians 6 tells us that. But I also get kind of upset because of the misrepresentation and the, the misleading and the deception sometimes that I hear about. And so I believe that it gets God's focus much more than ours. And they were deceiving people. And it helps us understand this when we see these guys that all religions are not the same. That sincerity and passion, we need it, but those aren't always signs of spirituality. That faith can be misplaced. That we can have faith in the wrong thing. That, that for these guys, that the faith that you live by 
well, it better be good enough to be the faith that you can die by as well. And they're deceiving people. And I believe this, that Elijah's saying, no more. We're not going back to that. And the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Holy Spirit in your life is to say, you know what, you can fix your eyes on Jesus and you can continue to follow him and you don't have to go back. Because what was behind you is probably not as good as what you think it is. Your memory will mess with you. It'll make you think, well, that was the good old days. Nah, wasn't the good old days. You've made it way better. You know, when I was a kid, I th- snow was like up to here. I was like only three foot six. Now I'm six foot three. I mean, it's changed a little bit. But in my mind, it seemed like it was so high. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Or, or you know, parachute pants really weren't as good as we might have thought they were. I'll go a step further because I had some because I was on the end of the bell-bottom age. I had bell-bottoms big enough that they covered my whole shoe. It looked like I just gliding like I didn't have any feet. <laughs> but they weren't as good as they may have seemed to be. Every few years, somebody tries to bring bell-bottoms back, and I'm like, yep, let's see how that goes. And maybe you got bell-bottoms, and you might be able to pull them off, but I couldn't. <laughs> Luke 9, 62, Jesus said, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. What straight words. That's, that's the loving Jesus trying to help us to know Get your eyes focused on him. Don't do, the one, don't do like Lot's wife who's, who's pulled out of this place that's experiencing judgment and, and experiences the grace of God and God gives her a warning and she still turns and looks back. See, what's behind you is nowhere near anywhere close to the good things God has in front. And so fix your eyes. Sometimes, sometimes people want to argue and debate about, you know, well, can you lose your salvation or not? And I'm like, well, that's kind of... you. You can have, you can, whatever side of the aisle you're on that, you can have the, you can win. I, I'm going to buy some trophies one day and just give people the trophies. Like, go ahead, argue that thing and win, whatever side. You, I don't even want to talk about it. Here's what I know. If you really get in, a, in a, a relationship with Jesus and you get your eyes fixed on him, well, there's just no option to turn back. You just won't want to ever do it. Are you with me? There's nothing back there that makes me think, well, that was so good that it's better than where I'm going. Are you with me? That, that, that where we're going, and the Holy Spirit will do this, he will seal this up in you so that, so that you want God more than anything else. I love what Ephesians 4.30 in the Philip's uh, rendering says this, never hurt the Holy Spirit. He is, remember, the personal pledge of your eventual full redemption, that the Holy Spirit in you, we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that it's the earnest that God is, it's like, it's like when you go to buy a house and you give them the earnest money up front because you want to buy that house and you sign that check and give it to them. What you're saying is, this is good because I'm going to pay the whole price for this house. God says, I'm going to put my deposit of my Holy Spirit in you because it's going to be good for the full day of redemption one day when we spend eternity together. And there ought to never be anything that, that distracts or tempts us to go back to where we come from. Thank God that we came from there but shut the garbage can lid on it and move on to what God has. Jude, verse 20, 25. What have I got? About another half an hour maybe. I'm playing. I'm almost done. Verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. 
and on some have compassion, making a difference, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted or deviled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory and exceeding joy. Understand this, that the Holy Spirit in your life is the keeping power. Here's what his promise is, that he'll lead you into all truth. He's the guide. And I think many times it gets down to this, the old-fashioned word, you know, sometimes I say things that people think, Pastor, like, are you just not modern at all? No, I'm in 2022. I'm with all of you guys. I got a phone that I can do all kinds of stuff with. I don't think I even use it for a phone very much for all the other things it does, right? We're, we're, in, we're in a world that's modern. But there's some things that we don't need to lose. And one of those is conviction. Holy Ghost conviction that God can still get your attention. Now, I'm not talking about condemnation. And I know that's been preached a lot over the years. Condemnation. Condemnation does this. It smacks you in the face and says, you're wrong, and leaves you there, kind of hopeless. I've been there before. Preacher gets up. Man, he makes you feel so bad. Right? You're bald, and you're never going to change. It's not what he said, but it's kind of the way it felt. You're stuck with it whatever you got, and there's no hope. That's condemnation. People, people that sometimes represent Christianity, they meet somebody and they make them feel so bad about themselves, but, but they don't give them any hope. That, that's not, that's not, and by the way, condemnation is not the work of the Holy Spirit. Conviction, on the other hand, that's when God gets your attention and said, hey, you're kind of heading the wrong direction, and you need to make some adjustments. And he says this, because I love you. Can you imagine if we were going to, Space with SpaceX, maybe one of us got the free ticket to go to Mars whenever they go, or whatever, NASA, whoever's going, I don't know who'll go. I mean, I'd love to do that, but I don't think my wife would let me, so I'll probably stay here. Anyways, it, it, it'd be like you get on that rocket, that ship that's going to go there, and they're kind of loosey-goosey with it. You know, all the people in the room with all the, I don't know how they do it, I just got, I just got the, the, the moon mission in my mind with all the big computers out there, and they're all sitting with the headphones on looking at the screens. And you're about 20 degrees off, but they say, ah, it's not that much. And when you get to Mars, it's not at 20 degrees from here to there. Well, you're way over here. And the Holy Spirit, I call it the Holy Spirit check. Sometimes he'll get your attention, and he'll say, hey. Sometimes he's going to just smack me a little bit. Hey, that isn't right. That's wrong. You need to correct that. It's not hopelessness. It's so that I'll get in, in alignment with what God wants so I can have the right trajectory to get all that God has for my life so that I don't, I don't get over here somewhere, but my focus is on Jesus, not on stuff, not on things, not on people, but on him. Lastly, here's what happens. He tells Ahab, go on, get up here. I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. It's a beautiful thing because it's been drought. In drought and in famine, good things don't grow. It's hard for good stuff to grow. It's unhealthy. Now, rain is coming, and it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing now that the drought is ending and rain is coming. And I believe this, that we experience blessing and abundance with the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, I'm not talking about just... You know, everybody's going to have a Ferrari and a $2 million home. If you got a Ferrari, I'm excited for you and let me drive it. 
It's not a negative thing about having Ferraris. If you can have one, that's awesome. It's the idea that when it comes to us approaching God, well, there's no lack. And by that, I mean this, that it says this, it says then, in the scripture there in verse 41, then. When does he talk about? When the fire had fall, it fell. Then good things are going to grow again. Jesus said in John 14, 16, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Kind of hang right there for a minute. It says that Jesus is going to pray the Father that he'll give another comforter. In other words, Jesus has been a comfort to us. Well, we know that, right? That, that the world was in a dark place, and now the light has come. But, but he, he says this, pray the Father, another. Now, the word another there is not heteros, that we typically would know, Greek word meaning another, but it's alos, meaning not another of a different kind, but another of the same kind. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm praying the Father that he'll send another just like me. Not different than me. Some of you, maybe you come from a place, or maybe you had an experience where you feel like the Holy Spirit is, oh, I don't know, it's kind of weird, it's kind of odd, I don't know. I love, I love, the, I love Jesus and I, the, the Father, but the Holy Spirit, I'm just saying that the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus, and here's the, here's the prayer he said, that he'll be with you forever. And now here's what we can do. We can get lost and we can think, well, you know, I'm just, I'm not a spiritual giant or I'm not, I'm not like other folks that follow Jesus or, you know, I try but I keep falling back or whatever it is. No. Jesus, here's the abundance. The Father saw us in a hopeless state. And he loved us so much that he sent his only son, a son that would live, die, be buried, and raised from the dead so that we could have a relationship with the Father. And, and because of his great love for us, here's the abundance and blessing, is his great love for us that, that then what Jesus would do is he would say, Father, send the Holy Spirit so that they're not left without and that they have him forever with them so that they don't have to have a mediocre, just, just normal, regular kind of living and religious experience, but that they can go to a whole new level and experience the fullness of your power, of your peace, of your purpose, of your presence through the Holy Spirit. That's what he did. That's the abundance. That you can, that you can step into a relationship with God where it is on fire, where it is every day when you wake up, you're like, I get to do this again, Jesus. Thank you for what you provided. There's no lack in my life because you provided everything that I have need of. I don't have to be spiritually poor because you've already paid the price for me to be spiritually rich. I'm saying that's for us.